Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Oh, what a night. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a What a Night part of the 90 Million Podcast Network. Two games to get you up to speed on since we last podded. Um, Spurs losing 2-0 to Wolves on Sunday afternoon. Spurs also losing 3-2 at home to Southampton in midweek. We're going to go into the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful as we always do, but we'll kind of span it across the course of this this last seven days or so. On the pod today, Shawnee Walsh, how are you? Uh, considering we've just lost two games, probably shouldn't have pretty well, mate. How are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do, do you know what, Sean? We'll tell the story of how we crossed paths in the in the in the media suite at Spurs in a bit. <laughs> do do Summerfield all good your end? Yeah, all good. I managed to um get my uh frustrations out in the form of running as of yet. But I'm lining up tomorrow for a big Oh, it's a 25k. Chaos. Yeah, 25k, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got a half marathon to train up for and I haven't done enough yet. So Oosh. um we'll we'll you doing that charity, Jude. You are doing that charity. Yeah, I'm doing we a couple to, this year. We need to sponsor you. Should we put a link in the uh, link in the description for people that want to sponsor? Actually, I will oh, yeah, we'll do a big plug on Twitter and get oh, some serious cash in. Get some water um, in there. That's it, big time. Uh, and Dan Kilpatrick, um, have you been following the, the Twitter stats that have kind of been rolling in over the course of the last 24 hours of when it was the last time that Conte lost two consecutive home games? When was the last time Spurs lost three games in the league in a row and potentially what would it be <laughs> like me. if it's a fourth against Man City? Yes, I have seen them. Um, <laughs> it does feel like it's all getting quite hysterical um, this week, which I totally understand. Um, so yeah, I'm ho- hoping this chat will be kind of cathartic and help us get to the bottom of it, help us solve Spurs' problems. Yeah, I do always feel, though, by the end of it, we have kind of, like, talked ourselves into relative calm, Dan. Like, usually once you've kind of broken it all down, it never seems as bad as it is at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, I like to think that's true. (laughs) I'm convinced. Um, Yeah, I I don't disagree. Let's see how it goes. Let's Let's see at the end. Come on, then. Let's let's see... I would say right now I feel kind of six out of ten pessimistic about Spurs. Let's see how I feel at the end. If I feel a little bit more more upbeat, you can ask me on the we go. on the Eric Edmanometer. Yes, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> for, for how Spursy we are at the moment. Um, Shorty, just before we start, um, give us the kind of the, the lay of the land. You were there yesterday, as with Dan, as with I. Um, just talk people through your take on the game, top level. Um, uh, I think the main thing coming into this game was having watched Wolves lose to Arsenal the other night, 10-man Arsenal. Arsenal really kind of didn't have to work too hard to get that three points over the line. I thought Wolves were really toothless. And I just thought, you know, if Spurs can, if they're the ones to get the first goal and then Wolves have got to come out and attack them, I think they're going to have some problems getting in behind Spurs. So what happens, you know, after five minutes, 
Hugo Lloris gifts Raul Jimenez a goal. Superb. You think, okay, okay, one down. That's not, it's not the end of the world, not the end of the world. And then 18 minutes, uh, plays a ball across back behind Ben Davis. Ben Davis skews the clearance. Eventually, it falls in Donka to smash in. And then just Wolves are the second meanest defence in the league. And for good reason that they're good at when they they do take these early leads. They're really, really good at defending. I think that was the main thing that I know Conte said otherwise in his press. So he thought that we had to make some good chances. I don't think we made. There was not one single moment where I thought he has to be burying that. And I think that's a real indictment on our, our creativity, um, our cutting edge. We just seem to lack it. Like I know that we were good last week against Brighton, but it does feel like the last time that Spurs were real, really playing with real pizzazz and control of a game was that Leicester game, which in itself was manic because of how it ended. So, yeah, Actually, I just... was going to say before that, what was it? Was it Norwich probably the last time that we felt we sort of dominated totally, the game? Yeah. Maybe even Palace. maybe Liverpool to an extent, I guess. Palace as well, yeah, on Boxing Day. But yeah, it just feels like those kind of blueprint Conte performances from his first few weeks, we haven't seen one of those in a while. And that's annoying when you consider we have Romero and Son back now. Um, yeah, it's just really tough to take when you... I think I said in the last pod, coming into this week, you know, these are two winnable games. If we get six points, that's in a really good position to get top four. We could be really optimistic. And here we are to work two defeats. What's changed, Jude? Oh, wow. Um, that's, a, that's a tough one. I actually remember going into the office last week and one of the head honchos being like, so Spurs, Conte, and me telling him, yeah, they're sort of getting back to being a good football team again. <laughs> and then we since lost to Southampton and to, uh, and to Wolves. Um, I don't know. I, feel, I do feel like the, the defence has just, it's, it's suddenly become incredibly shaky. And I know it's, it hasn't been the, the most perfect defence anyway, but we've got... Um, Got some really weird sort of isolated moments of madness that have gone in in these defeats to Southampton and to Wolves, um, especially in, in the Southampton one. In that for the first goal, I think that Southampton scored. Um, you had Sanchez prodding the ball back into the box, and then Davis slipping over, which led to to Broha, I think, scoring the first, and then. They scored two identical goals in the last 10 minutes, which was, it seemed to me, like watching on like a, a simple case of just not tracking runners and Warbrows putting it in the same area twice. And then um, f- for the Wolves game as well, it was sort of similar moments of madness this time from Lloris, who's, who's had a, a, a really good season somewhat under the radar, if you're not of a Spurs persuasion, but he just had a bit of a of a mare in that first 20 minutes and it was it was done as as a game really um so yeah I'm, I'm not buying into the the sort of um the the mayhem that has that has gone on online in terms of you know Spurs the season being done it's a it's a major it's 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 a major missed opportunity for them for sure but with other points drop with other teams dropping points sorry um if they can manage to just stick this behind them and go and get a massive dub at City, <laughs> maybe things will, will turn a little bit. That's the thing, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the annoyance and the, the sort of hysteria, I guess, Dan, is because people are sitting there thinking these games, Southampton and Wolves, really, the games at home that you'd be expecting Spurs to win. And then if you do win those and you pick up those six points 
I know it's it's our fault as fans for getting carried away, or as people in the media for getting carried away. But with those six points, Spurs are sitting in fourth place with two games in hand on Chelsea, and now it's like, oh man, we're in the in the in the mix in the mud. Yeah, I mean, clearly these are two games that if Spurs missed out on the top four or, or European football altogether by you know somewhere between zero and, and or one and six points, uh, you'd look back on these two games, you know, two home games um, against mid-table sides and, and think, you know, it was a huge opportunity missed. And, and obviously I, I totally get why, why that's really frustrating. And, and I also think, you know, no matter what the problems are with the squad, and we all know by now that there are a lot of substandard players, I think, you know, these are still two sides where you look at it and think on paper, Spurs should still be, you know, winning these games or they're still very much winnable games. Um, and I think just the, the performances have just not been anywhere near acceptable. Um, I think if Spurs had played, um, <laughs> well, played better um, and got unlucky or, you know, whatever, had lost the man or, you know, or just something had happened that, that kind of was a, contributed to, to what we could feel was a mitigating circumstances. If you know, that happens in football, that's why it's a great sport. But I think, you know, in both cases, Spurs deserve to lose the game. Um, the game. Southampton was, was kind of weird because it sort of felt like a smash and grab almost. It felt like a dramatic comeback, but actually it was a just a really deserved victory that happened in quite a weird way. Um, and Wolves was just so abysmal in the first 20 minutes that it didn't really matter that Spurs were, were well on top of the whole of the second half because the damage had already been done. And, and as one of the lads just said, Wolves were quite happy to just kind of sit back and, and defend that. So, yeah, if, if opportunity missed, um, but also just a kind of unacceptable level of performance from you know, a manager as good as Conte um, and, and players um, as, as kind of good or as decent as, as Spurs have. I mean that that's so true what Sean said as well. But you, you kind of go into a game like Wolves and you sit there and you think just get through the opening exchanges and be on the front foot and try and nick something like Arsenal did. And then the game opens up in front of you. In actual fact, we did the complete reverse of that. And once Wolves started to settle into the game, it was such a mean defense. It's so difficult to break them down. Um, but let's do let's do the good bits first then. What little good we can find in those two defeats. And we'll start with Benton Kerr. Uh, Sean, what did you make of his performances over the course of the two? Um, quietly impressed. I think when he came on against Brighton, you know, everyone lost their minds a little bit over the tone he did on the edge of his own area. Um, was wary not to lose my mind about that because of the amount of times and Dombele has done that. And I think it's probably done the last week since considering what his Twitter fans are up to. Um we came on against when against Southampton on Wednesday. Um, seemed to change the game in our favour. Like he was so cool and collected. He seemed to know how to work his way around the Southampton press. Played a couple of really really decent long balls that really opened the game up. Rewarded with a start on Sunday. I thought he was one of our better players. I don't think it was amazing, but I thought he was good. I thought he was above the level of everyone else and. Yeah, it's it's just really annoying that we're sitting here talking about two losses with this player who's clearly got 
a lot of talent, a lot of potential, and it's yeah. I keep, I'm going to keep coming back, but it's two it's two losses. It's two big losses in our season, and that's just really the downer on all of this. It's tough to get too carried up, carried away by his cameo against Southampton. I found because the guy who replaced Hoybiet had an absolute stinker. It was mm. pretty pretty turgid viewing, um, and he just got pressed. You know, the life was pressed out of him by Romeo and Ward Prowse and a lot of other players, and he just couldn't hack it. And uh, we actually had to deal with a bit of stick from the head of social who's a Southampton fan saying Hoybe, I wouldn't get into their team now. And I, <laughs> I think he's probably right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, Ben Tanker, interesting little performances, but still got to see a fair amount of him for sure. Let's talk a little bit about Cutie Romero as well, um, because Dan, in, in a couple of games with some questionable defending, he was actually rare bit of joy in there, watching him snap into tackles and, having the quality and the range of passing to actually do something from the from the back. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about Romero and Bentoncourt at the moment, just based on the games in the last week. They don't really have to be that good to stand out because they're technically good players. They can pass the ball. They can control the ball under pressure. You know, they, they can play... Um, through the press or, you know, that they don't completely fall apart and give the ball away or kind of fall on the ground and try and win a foul when, when they're pressed by aggressive players. And there were far too many of their teammates who were doing those things in both games, particularly the Saints game, where you could just see that there were too many players that just didn't like what Saints were doing to them and just couldn't really cope with it. Um, and it w- wasn't dissimilar against Wolves. But I think with Romero and Benton Kerr, that they just look a class above in that they're able to um, cope with that, you know, both physically and kind of tactically and, and technically as well. You know, they're good enough to to cope when put under pressure. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Benton Kerr didn't even have to be that good to, to kind of look a class above the rest of the, the team and the rest of the midfield. And it's kind of true of Romero at the back as well. I mean, obviously he's got these great qualities of, ultra aggression of kind of stepping out and snapping into tackles and winning the ball he's really good at anticipating when to step up and when not to um you know he's kind of full throttle isn't he but I think what stood out for me in the the last couple of matches has just been both their ability um to kind of cope when players get aggressive and get in their face and there's just far too many players in the Spurs side who either don't like that um and physically shy away from it or just aren't good enough technically to get away from it. Yeah, that, that was really noticeable, Sean, when there was a there was a moment, wasn't there, in the in the second half against Wolves where it looked like Cutie Romero got himself into a bit of a pickle. And he sort of because he was trying to play aggressively and trying to play forward, and then you saw him just turn a couple of times, open his body out, and then he just suddenly hits a switch pass and you think oh my God, that's the level, that's the difference, that he can receive that ball under pressure, not only maintain possession, but also actually do something useful whilst under pressure as well. Yeah, way through what Dan was saying, it, there's like a light bulb moment in my head where I was like, it's not just the aggression that these guys bring, it's the meaningful aggression, it's the useful aggression. And it it's such a contrast. So you look at the, some of the other guys on our team, I think, Look at someone like Sanchez, for example, who he's 
he's big and he's strong, but even after four or five years being in England, still doesn't really know how to use his body well, doesn't know how to channel that aggression to something useful. Winks in midfield, you know, he can play with a bit of bite, but he's just physically diminished after a few injuries in the last few years. He's the shortest looking 5'10 bloke I've ever seen on a football pitch. And it's, you bring in these two guys, they're, they're, they're proper like, it makes me think of kind of the Pochettino. Right? These are kind of Poch players. These are the players though really can, there's such a good blend of technique and aggression. And I think at least we do have these two as part of our core and our spine. And they're still young with still lots of room to grow. And this is their first, this is Bentecourt's first like fortnight in England. This is Romero's first season in England. So, you know, when you think about when they get up to the proper speed of the Premier League after being in Syria, then these are two really good players that we've got on our hands. I wonder whether, I wonder whether due that just in terms of the the good stuff, whether perhaps they looked a little bit sort of more. I mean, it's, it's to Dan's point, you don't have to do a huge amount in those games to to stand head and shoulders above the rest. Particularly when we move into the bad. I mean, there was so much to choose from. But we'll begin with the performances against Southampton in the defensive line for the sort of last 20 minutes or so. Unfortunately for Dallas and Sanchez, we do have to start, as Sean pointed out, with, with him. Tough couple of games for him. Very, very tough couple of games. Um, I remember Conte said something about Spurs being too emotional in these matches. And I think Davinson Sanchez is quite a... Uh, Quite a good summation of that because he's quite a he's quite an emotional defender. He's not he's not. I wouldn't ever, you know, say like he's he's solid for a seven out of ten every every week. He's someone who can drop a bit of a clangor, and um, it was it was just very frustrating watching that on the Wednesday night and seeing the two goals go in um, in almost sort of you know they were carbon copies of each other really. Like James Ward Prowse had the had the whole, you know, he had about acres around him just to pick out a pick out a cross and like a player of his quality with especially in his delivery, that's always going to hurt Spurs. And then there was just it was just static on the right side of the fence with with Sanchez and then um with Emerson Royal as well, who had a bit of a stinker too. Um so yeah, I, I think most Spurs fans are just sort of it's, it's odd to say, but they're willing Eric Dyer back into the team as soon as possible, really. And it'll, I, I, it will be interesting to see where he... I imagine he'll go into the middle of the three and Romero would be shunted out onto the right, which I think will improve that defence markedly. It's, it's, it just stinks of sort of chaos and um, frantic actions whenever they're called into any sort of action at the moment. <laughs> it's pretty no, no. weird. You know that point that he was making about emotion. Do you think that that that, that he's he genuinely means that word emotion, um, or whether there's a slight bit of uh, a, a slight language barrier issue there that, that he's sort of talking about that they're kind of the players are, are reactive. They're just they're making decisions based on kind of like instinct as opposed to actually having the kind of quality and reading of the game? Or do you think it genuinely means they find it hard under pressure to actually control nerves and things like that? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, emotion would be an interesting word for him to use, um, given that when Spurs were 2-1 up, he was seen on the touchline 
um, that, shushing Ralph Hasselhoff yeah. and like the the rest of Southampton staff. So, yeah, maybe that has been lost in in translation slightly. I mean, Spurs, yeah, they were they were very reactive, but also not enough in, in the yeah, same way because they weren't tracking runners and you know it was it was just a bit messy. Particularly the second goal against Wolves. I mean that that that, that was the the reason why I asked that Dan is because. I think we've we have as a as a club certainly enjoyed the emotion that Conte's brought on the sideline, and like I don't think anyone any of us can shy away from the fact that we've kind of dined out on this a little bit with Conte Cam and 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 the fact that we've got this really passionate and energetic manager on the sideline, but also that I suppose has to come at a bit of a cost as well, right? If you're asking players to kind of heart on their sleeve, be really passionate and intense. If you then find people are flustered in big situations, that there might be on some level a, a slight correlation. Yeah, I mean, I think Conte is a really interesting talking point at the moment. And I think an interesting topic is whether he is responsible for, or largely responsible for, this bad run of form and, and, you know, or how much responsibility he bears rather. Um, and there've been a couple of really interesting articles today, one by Charlie Eccleshire in The Athletic and one by um, Oliver Young-Miles in, in The Eye about Conte's messaging and whether, you know, he's hitting the right notes in his press conferences, uh, in his public speaking, and or whether he's kind of impacting confidence um, by constantly talking about the quality of the squad. And I do think that, you know, that's an interesting debate really um but I do think there's kind of an element of self-fulfilling prophecy about some of the stuff Conte's been saying I mean you know when he came out after the first defeat to Chelsea and said you know several times that the squad was middling and he even said we're going to struggle to get three points in any league game this season which I thought was a bit dramatic at the time and and then lo and behold in every league game since, Spurs have struggled to get three points. I mean, the only game they've won since then has been yeah. Le- Leicester, which was, you know, obviously last gasp and very dramatic. Um, so you do wonder whether he's, you know, hitting the right notes. I mean, my, my personal view is that, you know, he's not, he just isn't the reason this is going wrong. And it, it does come back to the mentality and quality of, of too many of the players. You know, football is a, is a weak link sport. If you've got, you know, one weak link who can be targeted in the Premier League. You know, it, it it matters less how good the other ten players are. You know, it's not like basketball where you can just have one amazing player and and the rest can be judged and, and you'll be sorted. Um, so I don't think Conti's to blame, but I do think you know, I'll be very interested to see whether you know he continues to sort of rigidly stick with the the three four three, which I think is pretty turgid and not getting the best out of too many people, and whether he continues to make these selection decisions that I think a lot of people are getting fed up with now, which is, you know, to play Tanganga and Sanchez over, over Roden, you know, which even he appeared to kind of acknowledge might be a mistake um, after the game on, on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I still think he's a net asset, but I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, whether Spurs fans get increasingly frustrated with him if he continues to make the same kind of decisions. I do partly think that this is just who he is as a manager at the same time. Like I think there's a history of wherever he's been, you know, the way that he kind of conducts himself in the media is quite kind of like 
drooping and moany and he's just you know he just speaks in this way you know that the, the term suffering always comes up and whatever um and i think there was an interesting thing he said post-match yesterday which i know a lot of rival fans got a kick out of i think it was saying like i'm used to fighting for the titles instead of just the top four so this is different for me and i don't think he meant that as a like a dig to spurs or whatever i genuinely think he meant that in this sense like maybe i have to do things a little bit differently maybe this week has taught me that there are things that are different like he you're right danny came out and he did say maybe not playing Roden in this last month was a mistake maybe he would do things differently there so I, I, he did he did kind of stress as well like the there was like a long road and a long path ahead to solving this issues it's not as if you know he's just kind of like tanking or anything he is it does seem like this has been a sobering week for him and i'm quite interested to see how we would line up against Manchester City now, actually. I'd be so surprised that it's three forwards, though, that play against mm. City. I mean, yeah. like, having watched them dismantle Norwich, I mean, I know it's Norwich, but, and they actually put up a good fight during the game. But to go with, to go with, like, a holding two at the Etihad, just, it just plainly wouldn't make any sense. Like, to be honest, I'm not really sure who you'd want to plug in there, because, like, like we said, Hoybier has been a bit ropey recently, and Winks hasn't had the... I mean, he did a few things right against against Wolves, but he's he struggled throughout as well. So, um, I mean, unless he swaps in like Kulisevsky for Lucas, who again has is in a bit of a weird patch, um, they have to go with five across the middle, surely, because City will just swarm them otherwise. Ryan Mason needs to show him a DVD of the first eighty minutes of the League Cup final last year. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll show you, Tony. I'll, I got I got it. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Just do this. No, ignore the last 10 minutes. No, we don't need to see that. Bill should have conceded about 12 goals in that. That's <laughs> <Incredible. laughs> Look at the score, Antonio. Look at it. It's nil-nil. It's fine. <laughs> if, we, if we are going to talk about the midfield, we should go on to talk a little bit about Harry Winks. Um, he came in for a lot of heat yesterday. Um, and I mean, I'm in the past, I've been someone that's been very, very, very kind of like almost going into leave Britney alone territory with Harry Winks <laughs> at times. Um, but I think that performance yesterday was seeing Harry Winks in a place where he just feels incredibly uncomfortable. Um, he's, he's got a ceiling as a player as it is in terms of the contributions that he's going to make to a team because He's not got a world-class shot on him. He's not an unbelievably good tackler. He's not frighteningly quick. He's not got outrageous stamina. So in order for him to have a good game, he's got to be at his ceiling. And even then, it's going to be a 7 or 8 out of 10 that uh, is very peak. Problem is yesterday, once you start to see him misplacing passes, and I think the thing that was in particular picked out, Dan, was the fact that he was receiving balls under a bit of pressure and looking very panicked. Fans sort of are very quick to, to jump on the back of that. Yeah, I totally see that. I mean, I think Winks did some really good things and some really bad things against Wolves. Um, I really did see both sides of his game. Um, I think in terms of the good, he created at least three good chances I would have said um you know with with sort of passes into dangerous areas um and when he had time to to pick a pass I think he was you know, putting some you know, good balls 
uh, you know, yeah, into, into into dangerous areas. So I thought that there was that, and then obviously he had probably the best chance of the game for Spurs with that effort that deflected back on the post. Um, so it wasn't all bad, and I think that is important to say. But yeah, in in, in kind of both games um, against Southampton, in common with Hoiberg, who was probably worse. He gave the ball away a lot in the face of their press. And against Wolves, again, when he was under pressure um, and didn't have time, uh, yeah, he looked he looked poor. Um, and I think, you know, that's a real problem because it's Spurs have got rid of, you know, a lot of central midfielders in January, as we know, um, including, a you know, a couple who felt a lot more press resistant than, you know, certainly than, than Winks and Hoybier. Um so there's potentially a blueprint there that teams, the opponents can kind of look at when, you know, those two are in the side or one of them's in the side. But, you know, I think, I, I don't think Winks was, was kind of exclusively bad. Um, I just think he, yeah, he, he, he needs to be played in certain games and in certain situations and certain formations and, you know, against a, a kind of ultra aggressive Southampton side and a, um, Kind of energetic, well-organized, and disciplined Wolves side. You know, neither felt like, you know, really the right environment for him. And I think that that did show. I'm gonna just quickly um, jump in here on something as well that I've noticed from Koi's Twitter that I think we've got a nip in the bud. Tanguy Ndombele has played one game in Liga or whatever it is, or two games in Liga. If you are gonna fawn over compilations of that. And, and sit there and kind of be like, oh, no, like you're completely lost. You're better off just muting the, the, the league and tweets because God knows what you'll do when you discover Mbappe as well. Um, it, it, it's really like it really is not that deep. And at the end of the day, we've kind of made this made the decision to, to move away from it. The Celso, the same. Brian Hill, the same. This is not like. These are not guys playing against the like Southampton and Wolves. They're playing in very, very different ways, in different shapes, different needs. It does not have a direct bearing. However, Sean, what I would say is that we do have a very specific type of midfielder at the moment, and we do feel a little bit thin on the ground in terms of someone there to sort of unpick the lock, as it were. Yeah, and I guess this comes back to the criticism Conte, doesn't it? Like he he felt with at least two of these midfielders, you know, whether the writing for them was on the wall of the club, you know, regardless, you could say that. But yeah, it's maybe keeping one around would have been wise. Like you just look at, I think the, the big takeaway from the week about the midfield is like, look how important Oliver Skip is to us. I mean, I think there was a stat in the round today. It was on the other day and it was like, I think we've won once in the Prem when Skip hasn't played and we haven't won when Skip, Dyer and Hoiberg have all missed out. So, it's not, again, it's like a really kind of small sample size, but you do realise how quickly Skip has come into that core group of players. Like, I'm not missing Lo Celso and Dombele, Delhi or Hill. I'm missing Skip because of just how important he's been this season. The way that can I can I quickly jump in on that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. I'm writing a, I'm writing a piece on that at at, at the moment um, for tomorrow, and, and just saying, I totally agree with Sean. You know, Spurs massively missing Skip and Dyer, but I, I kind of think that that says a lot about the overall quality of the squad when 
you know, Skip, as, as promising as he is, is still a 21-year-old who was playing in the Championship last season. I don't think he's yet top four quality as a player. And Dyer is a good leader who I think Conte kind of sees as the bridge between himself and, and the dressing room along with Lloris, but has not proven himself as a Premier League centre-back for me, or at least not a top-level centre-back yet. He's still got that to do. And yet, take these two players out of the Spurs side and seemingly can't function. And I think that's a pretty telling uh, kind of indictment of, of where the rest of the squad is and, and you know, where the level of this, this group overall. That's so strange, isn't it? It's such a weird position to be in. So what's the kind of, without meaning to go full spoiler alert, Dan, what's the kind of takeaway for you in your piece? Well, I think, I mean, my feeling is that Conte is not beyond question, but I don't think he's really to blame. And I, I think, really, I've said all, all the points that I've kind of written already because I've, I've just been writing them this <laughs> afternoon. But yeah, I think the, the, the kind of, the kind of technical and sort of physical level of the squad just, just isn't good enough. Um, I don't think Conte has necessarily helped with his, his messaging, but um, I think it comes down to the quality of the players. And I think rather than digging out individual players, I think that's that's kind of best demonstrated by the importance of Skip and Dyer. You know, two players who really, um, you know, should be squad players. You know, if, if Spurs were, were where... Spurs wanted to be and where, you know, many people think they should be and where they were, then you wouldn't be relying on on Skip and Dyer, um, you know, to be back to get a result at City, you know, that they would be players who would be competing for places, but not kind of guaranteed a place. And, and I think that that's the bottom line, really. Um, yeah, but look, we I don't, for me, not a huge amount has changed in the last week. I mean, it's been a terrible week, but I think we all knew the squad was pretty average and need a lot of work. And we all knew that Conte was a world-class manager and we all knew it wouldn't be fixed in, in one transfer window. So I, I feel like the main kind of issues are, are still the same. It, it's going to take time under Conte and, and a lot of rebuilding. It's got to be a massive summer. Um, and yeah, it, it, it still kind of just feels like a case of whether the club can they do enough in the summer to, to keep him happy more than anything. Well, that's a, that's again, a, yeah. why top four is so important because it just raises the, the slight level of the player that we could attract. Massively, massively. And, and if we're not going to dig out individual players anymore or, or, or speak too much about individuals, Sonny, you've got away with one, buddy. <laughs> you've absolutely got away with a rough afternoon with Sonny. Just... <laughs> just occasionally has one of those where uh, we've just got nothing seems to go for him um, but on to the next for him in the ugly though we do have to talk about a couple of individual moments and I want to start with the Ryan Sessegnon moment not because he got a bad reaction from the crowd and not because it felt as if Antonio Conte in some way disrespected him we just needed to make a change and I don't know about you guys but I just felt so sorry for him in that moment you just wonder when he's gonna get a break don't you because I think were the last few games he's played he played in that Chelsea 4-4-2 system which just kind of confused everyone he played against Morecambe in the FA Cup he started a wing back he got 
inverted with Doherty. I thought he did quite well, but again, wasn't like the natural position you come out of it. And this seemed like a real chance for him to really make a claim for that spot. But yeah, just a victim of the system. And he got he got he did get like a really kind of warm reception as he walked around the bowl around the pitch and went and he would go over to the touchline again. Um Conte did go and like console him and just kind of give him a hug. And I think it was just telling him that it wasn't about him. It was just about changing the system and getting another attacking player further up the pitch. Right decision for you, Sean. Right player to come off. You could, there's probably a really strong argument for Davis, but I guess Conte didn't really want to go gung-ho because Sessegnon in a flat back four at left back is very different to him playing as the flying wing back. So it's just, it's just one of those, unfortunate ones you know Spurs don't go 2-0 down then he's not coming off he's playing 60 70 80 90 minutes and yeah <laughs> his own teammates are really throwing him under there okay, that position is still like quite up for grabs though at least so in that regard like I, I, I doubt that it'll have any you know I don't think he'll be ostracised or anything like that thankfully so he'll he'll get another opportunity it's just tough that when he's when he started, he's like been sent off in the conference league, or okay. he's had to be um, subbed for a for a, a change in tactics or something like that. But I'm pretty sure he'll he'll get his chances, and he's looked good in moments this season. So just hopefully he can get when he does get a, a run of games, he'll um he'll start to contribute a little more, make it stick. Yeah, um, and then we've got. I mean, we have to touch on Hugo. I sort of have made the point to a lot of people that are listening, Dan, that Hugo Lloris has actually quietly gone about having a brilliant season. But it does feel like there is one of these every season that we just kind of need to accept will happen at some point. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think most keepers have one per season, right? Um He's just and got a bit unlucky, know, maybe, with the fact that it's like it's it was against Wolves, who are yeah, I mean they, they, good they, in that position. They, they were both pretty bad, I think. Um, I mean the the first one is yeah, I think he's been poor in two actions. Really, I thought the save was a bit was a bit pedestrian, and then the punch is really weak, isn't it? To kind of like sort of someone. Uh, saying it was like an outfield player sort of pretending to be a goalkeeper or having to go and goal. It was that kind of punch. But I mean, I, I just actually saw a really interesting screenshot on Twitter. I don't know if she, I'm not sure might have posted it actually because it was from the Tottenham Way, which is an account he sometimes posts from. But um, well, it wasn't me. I don't have the access to it anymore. Uh, okay, it's Tom then. Um, you need to get that back, mate. Don't let Tom dominate with his <laughs> negative vibes. Um, but yeah, it was just a screenshot of when Laurie's punches, and there's, there's genuinely four players standing on the edge of the box. Oh, oh my god! god. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just looking at it now. Oh my god! Like uh, the Arsenal moment all over again. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, you do just wonder. You know, it, it was it was a crap punch, but you know, had had Laurie's teammates shown a bit more desire to kind of get back and and help out, you know, would it have been one of those things that would have kind of easily been forgotten if, if players were where they should have been? Um, and that's you know that's the problem with being a goalkeeper, isn't it? You know you, your your mistakes, you know as often as not, lead to big chances or goals, and and everyone remembers them. Whereas you know if you're 
Harry Winks, by way of example, and you're making the same kind of mistake, you know, a loose pass or a poor action or whatever in the middle of the park, then you can often get away with it. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to be too hard on Hugo, not least because I've also got a piece on Hugo coming out at the end of this week. So, yeah. <laughs> you did this. Yeah, no, but yes, he has been, like, there's just no getting away from it. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And the position that I'm talking about, as being in, I thought, I'm sure a lot of people know this already, Wolves are phenomenally good defensively. And they don't concede early goals in games. They just don't do it. I think Arsenal were the only, only the first team in 16 now to have scored in the first half against them. Problem is, is that beside like Spurs, we're not phenomenal when teams are sitting deep against us. So for Hugo, it made it particularly difficult, Sean, because not only is is that a really rubbish stat to be up against, but it, as Spurs is kind of leader. You get the impression that others around him are probably looking there and being like, "Oh Jesus, Hugo's throwing one." It's like, have you ever seen the clip of you know Emery taking Arsenal training? I think he's like trying to teach him how to press something. He's like, he's like shouting at them. He's like, "Come, come!" And it's like, this. I can't imagine never being any less calm in my life. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's like the punch back. The punch back is the area. It was like everyone's just like probably panicking. Like, oh my god, like what's going on? But yeah, you're right. The goalkeeper kind of sets the foundation. If you have a ropey keeper, then you're in for a rough ride. So when yeah. it's your captain, when it's, the, when it's the most experienced man in that dressing room, when it's the guy who's lifted the World Cup, it's really... Yeah, like no, I always feel out. like... I always feel like when the defence at some point has that moment where they slip, you look and you think, oh, thank God Hugo bailed us out there. Mm, yeah. You know, it, so for it to be him... It suddenly, oh, yeah, it's just a really, really frustrating and, and unlucky afternoon that it happens twice in the same day and then we are so toothless going forward. Um, just to finish on then, a final beautiful moment, and there's two really, because I'm sure you guys have just seen um, something that's dropped in the last kind of half an hour while, whilst we've been recording. Firstly, Christian Eriksen getting announced um, at Brentford doing his first bits of media and that lovely reception that he got there. And then also, I don't know if you guys have seen this, he just played in a behind closed doors game and he's got a, a very tidy assist that's come from a nice bit of pressing as well. So surely and Dan, you you did his you did his sort of first proper bit of, of media sort of more broadly, right? Yeah. Yes. Dan was on my bloody patch. <laughs> <laughs> on my patch. <laughs> yes, Sean. Sean showed me the ropes. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was good to, to see him back, wasn't it, Sean? I mean, I, yeah. It's, he's not always loved doing media, I think, to say the least. But he definitely made an effort, and I think he definitely appreciates um, the sort of significance of his comeback. That that's not lost on him at all, um, and he knows there's a lot of interest in it. Um, yeah, and as, as Sean um, said at the time, you know that there was that kind of classic sort of sarcasm and slightly supercilious air he has where he obviously sort of thinks um half the questions are a bit ridiculous but he did he did get involved in it and it was really it's just a great story isn't it um and i haven't seen the is there, is there footage of him getting the assist today to yeah it's just dropped now it's such oh, a great so i haven't seen that but i mean I'm, that's i mean that's great isn't it just actually seeing him back out on the pitch you know in a kind of semi-competitive but do you know what it is? It's that weight of pass that he's got. You know, the, the, the lovely sort of like, his technique is, is is so clean. He sort of wins the ball back and just drops it calmly into 
I can't see who he's going clean through on goal, but it's a, it's a really nice little pass. And just really Dan, nice were you, Dan, were you the one who asked him about bumping into Conte that got a big laugh? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I asked Conte about about Ericsson and he said that great line about it'd be great to work with him again, basically. <laughs> um, which, yeah, obviously, I think now is is going to be a really interesting one to watch. Um, at the end of the season. Imagine that. What a treat. And then, and then, Sean, we got to see the kind of reception that he got as well, which is really, really nice. Yeah, really great. He got introduced um, 10 minutes before Brentford played Crystal Palace on Saturday. I think there was a warning pre-match that he was going to be unveiled and everyone kind of got to their seats quickly, gave him a really good reception. Um, oh, yeah, it was just, I think it was just, it was just really big for him. He said um, at the unveiling, you know, this is like the perfect mix of like you know where where this kind of football club is at it's in the Premier League he gets to live in London again he's surrounded by a lot of people at Brentford that he does know from the Danish national team and he's worked with Thomas Frank before so I think it does feel like this is kind of like the perfect first step back into football for him so I'm really really happy for him I'm really glad that I'm going to be able to cover up close for the rest of the season I, the, that is a really nice note to end on so we'll leave it there with something a little bit more upbeat that's kind of made it feel a bit warm and fuzzy. And if you haven't seen, um, you haven't seen the clip, Brentford have actually posted it on their Twitter. So do go and go and have a little look at that. Um, thanks so much to Sean, to Jude, to Dan. Uh, make sure you check everyone on social. We'll be back next week. God, Man City at the weekend. Crikey. Um, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back next week to react to that one. Fingers crossed. Uh, the boys have gone out and given us one of those classic performances away at the city that come out of nowhere and leave us feeling absolutely overjoyed. Uh, in the meantime, have a great week and we'll see you all next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.